Hi there, and welcome to the Eat Your Greens podcast. I'm your host, Maya Lopin, and I'm here to deliver you your regular fix of greens through insightful interviews with experts and wonderful, passionate people in the field of environmental sustainability. Whether you are an expert yourself or just looking for some friendly background conversation while you go about your day, tune into these episodes to learn more about some current amazing people and initiatives tackling environmental issues. Who knows, maybe you'll hear something you like and be inspired to take on a project of your own. Welcome to Eat Your Greens, the first step towards making a difference. Hello, and welcome to episode six of the Eat Your Greens podcast. I'm here today with Dorcas Tang, who is an artist and storyteller for climate justice based in Singapore. Known to her Instagram followers by her handle, Earth to Dorcas, she creates beautiful art pieces, infographics, and community murals, and even recently published a book, all with the aim of raising awareness about social and environmental issues. Her clientele includes Carousel, PM Hayes, MSIG, Sustainable Singapore Gallery, Society for the Physically Disabled, Singapore Association for Mental Health, and The Little Rice Company. Dorcas has spoken in panel discussions and has been featured on numerous media outlets, including Today Online and The Straits Times, and was even featured on the March copy of the ASEAN magazine as the cover illustrator. And to top it all off, although she has many accomplishments that I have not yet listed here, Dorcas was selected as a Singapore delegate for the 2022 UN Conference of Youths and the 2022 UN Regional Asia and the Pacific Conference for Youths. Super happy to be speaking with such a passionate and creative guest today. Welcome to the podcast, Dorcas. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Maya. Um, so tell us about your latest piece. Where where was it? What medium did you explore? Um, maybe who did you work with? And what was your intention with this piece? Mm, so the very recent piece that uh, I was working on is actually another mural in Boon Lay View. So... This was a mural that was talking about um, littering. And what we did was we wanted to involve the kids in the mural in a very uh, fun and engaging way. So we got them to kind of um, create their own characters and to draw out what kind of community actions they wanted to see in their neighborhood in order to reduce littering. And we also invited different speakers um, like Yasa Amin um, from Stridey as well as Baigo MJ from Just Keep Thinking in order to come in and kind of talk about the impacts that it has on both humans and marine creatures. And it was incredibly fun. Um, The kids are really excited to kind of like draw out the different characters and different actions they can take. One of them even drew like a huge vacuum cleaner in order to clean up the entire ocean. (laughs) Yeah. And then um, in the end, I kind of put together all of their different designs and we created this beautiful mural together with the help of the kids to also uh, come in and paint together with us. Yeah, so that's a project that's really, really close to my heart. Oh, that's amazing. And I love that you um, included these these kids and kind of put their vision forward. Um, and you brought in a lot of speakers to speak about um, you know, environmental impact and teaching the kids at the same time. And that's a really cool initiative. And in general, because you've made a lot of work or artwork pieces and 
um, you've worked with a lot of clients. Is there an overarching theme to your work or, or do you kind of get inspired at different times and, you know, work with different people to tackle different issues? I would say my art is more of the latter at the moment. Um, Because for me, uh, I wasn't trained in environmental education. So even like creating all of these art pieces is a way for me to learn about different issues at the same time. Oh, amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I really treat this phase of my creative life as something very experimental. So I usually let the client or whoever I'm working with kind of give me their expertise And I come in with the expertise as a storyteller or an artist to try to, you know, bridge that gap and make it approachable or easy to understand or colorful for the wider public to engage with. Um, So the themes that I really love working with um, usually have to do with like spiritual ecology. Um, I would say like biodiversity and I I really love anything in the intersections of like um, nature and mental health and kind of reimagining a better future and those sort of things. Yeah, amazing. And so you mentioned spiritual ecology. I don't really know what that means. Would you mind explaining what that is? Oh, um, I guess it would be kind of like I was like examining the modern human world in a kind of an emotional and like a spiritual way like seeing how ecosystems relate to us and our mental health Mm, and how everything is kind of connected together in all of these different energies okay very interesting and how did you have this idea to connect art with social issues like were you always interested in art when you were younger um, and kind of had a passion for social issues and brought it together? Or, yeah, how did you spark this and how did you develop your art until where you are now? Yeah, I I would say it's quite like a... It was like a snowball of like accidents <laughs> that kind of like accumulated into this. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say that art has always been like my main passion since I was really, really young. Um, I remember that my grandma would say that I was a very easy child because she could just give me like any piece of paper and I would be occupied for hours. (laughs) Um, So growing up, I've always used art in a different variety of ways. Like I've always used it to kind of help me understand difficult concepts in school And I've always used it to express my emotions as well. So when I started learning about the climate crisis, um, I thought that this was something I could use to kind of help the cause, even if it's a little bit. Um, Yeah, and it kind of just, I just started like, um, like drawing infographics to understand sustainability concepts at first, but then it has really developed into this kind of love that I have for nature and people around me now. Yeah, which I think is really cool. Yeah, and so what do you think makes art, like why do you connect with art as compared to maybe 
words. I mean, I'm not sure if you you also are like a writer or something, um, but there's some people that maybe connect more with maths while some people are more creative. Um, so yeah, what what makes art like a good medium to for emotions? Uh, I think uh, I could probably like give like a really long winded answer to this. <laughs> oh, no, go ahead. We I... have so much time. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I just I I love the way art can art is is just full of potential. Mm. Like when I see like a blank piece of paper, there is no limit to what can go on that piece of paper. Um, and so I I am someone who has like a lot of thoughts and a lot of like emotions and colors and music and everything like running through my head all the time so it's really full so to be able to like channel all that into something external outside of myself it's really really cathartic and um, sometimes I also use art to understand what I'm feeling inside as well. Like, I went through a period where I was, you know, full of, like, ego anxiety all the time because of yeah. what I read on the news. Yeah, and it's, it's it really wasn't fun, but I didn't even know that I had ego anxiety and that, at that time until I really started to draw and I started to write poetry and those themes kept coming up over and over again. Um, so I, I think that's why I love art. It's just, I feel like it's kind of like a time capsule. Okay, like yeah. you can just bottle up someone's internal state and then freeze it for a moment of time. Oh, that that's really interesting. I've never heard that before. But that's a, that's a wonderful thought. And so, for do you think the art that you create now? Um, helps maybe other people to connect with um, your feelings. And I'm sure there's a lot of people now going through eco-anxiety as well with like more and more, there's news about climate change and like disasters. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think your the art that you produce um, maybe helps others to identify with or maybe connect with you and connect through their eco-anxiety to the art? I do hope so. <laughs> yeah, I guess when I'm creating it, I usually never really like know what people or how people are going to react to it. Mm. But I realize that the more vulnerable I am, the more I hope like a safe space for everyone to else to also express their thoughts. And I think there can be something really powerful in that because then everyone realizes they're not alone, um, even in this really scary situation that we all have each other and we have community. And yeah, I think I I think that's what I love about art that it also helps to connect people on the kind of like very deep level. Yeah, and I guess. Um, I'm not very good at arts at all. I'm actually very terrible at art. Um, <laughs> and okay. I, I really enjoy seeing like how artists, you know, interpret different things and um, kind of put, as you said, their emotions onto paper. Um, so do you think art, like, or this might be different for different artists. So like for you, do you think 
or do you prefer if your viewers kind of interpret the art as they want or or would you like them to know about like your intention of the art as well and like kind of know the background of it Mm, that's a really good question and I think for me there are different types of climate art out there um for me, it really depends on the intention of the artwork. So if it's an infographic and I need people to be able to understand like what um, maybe ecological restoration is, then everything has to be very clear and there usually shouldn't be a lot of room for interpretation or abstraction. Um, but for art that is a little bit more personal and emotional, I find that it's actually better when it's left up to interpretation um, because it allows for more nuance and allows for more perspectives to come in and kind of add to the art, I think. Mm, Okay. And so I listed earlier some clients that you've worked with, so that's including Carousel, um, Singapore Sustainable Singapore Gallery, Society for the Physically Disabled, uh, and many others. So when you work with with clients, what what kind of like what is your role with those clients? Um, for me, it's usually about helping them to tell like information or like stories that would otherwise not reach the wider public. Okay, um, like for. PM haze we did like I think a three-part series on like what transboundary haze was you know what are its impacts on people and how people can help and um, I thought that was really meaningful because I, I got to learn about what transboundary haze was and then I didn't even realize how much it impacted my own life and um, the, the the countries that are around us um, until I did that piece and then um, I find that it's really uh, cool that people will actually like message us and tell us like hey we didn't know we could take action against oh, transboundary haze yeah <laughs> and then they they until they discovered this infographic and they knew how to take action which is very much my experience as well because I knew nothing about sustainability or the climate crisis um, until I got to work with these brands. So I always think that it's a very like win-win situation when it happens. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. And so in terms of environmental sustainability, because you um, started like having a passion for art and you came into this, was it you that first um, created a piece about sustainability or was it like maybe a a company or an organization like reached out to you and asked to collaborate over something related to to sustainability? Oh, that's a good question. Um, This was in March 2020. So how, how everything kind of like began was that I was actually running a watercolor business um, when I was in when I was taking my diploma and I was learning about a lot of different 
social and environmental issues at that time. So when I graduated, I really wanted to infuse all of those different ideas into my art. So in a way, yeah, I did like kind of create different pieces at first, not with the intention of it going anywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, but I guess like it kind of picked up after a while and like there were like different clients that were coming and yeah. Okay, interesting. And so as somebody who knows nothing about art, I'm curious to know what your like creative process is. Like what is when you start a new piece of art um with the goal of raising awareness about something, what what's your process? Like what like kind of step by step? Um and then like what do you consider while making your different art pieces? <laughs> Um, I struggle to answer this question a little bit <laughs> because my process is super, super chaotic. I mean, I guess that's what makes you an artist and what makes me not an artist. <laughs> I guess different people express themselves differently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, usually I kind of internally collect things that move me throughout my life. So this can be a conversation with people um, or it can be like a moment that I had when I was out on a nature walk or it could be like a really deep like reflection that I had over like a weekend when I was just like out on the beach and looking out into the sea. Um, and I found that those moments that move me profoundly are the ones I are the, like the concepts I end up liking to infuse into my art. Um, mm, okay. Yeah, and then I kind of draw very, very intuitively. So based on like what my feelings are, and um, you know the colors that I'm currently feeling, and you know, all of that kind of like accumulating into like yeah. a final piece. Um, yeah, I guess that would work differently for something like an infographic. Because for an infographic, what I usually do is I have all of the different information, usually from a researcher or from an organization that I'm working with. Um, and then I have to slowly do my own research about what different terms mean and clarify with the researchers or the clients. And then afterwards, I try to find a very, very clear storyline that the entire piece can anchor on. And I try to make it as colourful and as eye-catching as possible. And then sometimes I also send it to my friends um, because they can give me feedback about, you oh, know, yeah. what needs to be clarified. Yeah. I always find that it's really useful because as an artist drawing by myself, sometimes I go into a lot of blind spots. Mm. I really admire that you kind of draw from the people around you because you were mentioning you, you draw inspiration from you know, small moments or small conversations. And then when you work with like researchers or organizations, you, you ask them to clarify topics or, um, you know, you do your own research and even like feedback from other people. That's, I think that's a really cool skill to be able to, connect with others and bring that into your art thank you yeah I would say that my art is very much driven and also like 
um, like like held by the community around me. Like I always say that without my friends or without my community, I would know nothing <laughs> about sustainability. So they're really the ones who help to kind of guide me and mentor me in a way. Nice. And so now I'm curious, have you ever received like controversy or or criticism for a piece of art or or has this not happened? I would say the most controversial one that I released was probably like a couple years back. Um, I think this was at a time where Dover Forest like would or would not be completely deforested and I remember there was also a period of time when we were all trying to raise awareness of like, you know, the different endangered species that are in Dover Forest and, you know, why we should conserve it instead. And I remember when I started taking a stance on conservation, um, people did start to push back a little bit um, on my art because they were like, why are you trying to take away houses for yeah. the next generation. Um, and that was like a very profound moment for me because I think I was really like convicted about what was right before. But then when I started looking at um, the perspectives from the government and also people who, you know, really wanted more housing to be built, then I realized that you know, environmental sustainability is always like a collective conversation to be had. Mm. And it's, it's like sometimes even if I have my own values and my beliefs, it's better to have a collective conversation and then move forward together um, than for everyone to be fighting each other all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess from the experience I I did learn like something um, quite insightful out of it yeah, even though I am naturally very conflict averse and I try not to get into disagreements which is really really hard when you're a climate activist and you're trying to be vocal and stand by your values yeah yeah that's a really nice perspective though is um, that like we shouldn't be fighting because we're all trying to get <laughs> something uh, in common. And I, I think that's what the Singapore government must be struggling with as well is like the balance between social and environmental like welfare, I suppose, because like it's yeah. such a small country. Like how can they fit everything and have um, and be environmentally sustainable? I think that's definitely like their kind of seesaw at the moment. Yeah, it is. And like with the economy as well, like I realized that a lot of things like that are good socially and environmentally may not work economically. And but then we live in a world that is run under capitalism, so it's a really hard compromise sometimes. Yeah, and so how did you like? Was it difficult to handle this first piece of criticism? Because I'm sure, like, as a new artist, it must be. Like, your first piece of criticism must be a bit, like, difficult to to understand. And I, you shared, like, such a nice perspective. I mean, you, hand, you seem to handle it so well. <laughs> Maybe externally. <laughs> <laughs> but inside, I'm like... Mm. 
of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah,、um, I think it was a bit hard to handle at first because all the art that I've been making before that was like, um, like customized watercolor pieces for my clients, and those naturally are very, uh. You know, non-controversial. They're、yeah. like a birthday card for like、um, your daughter, or like it's a anniversary gift for your husband. You know,、um, yeah. But I think what I realized is that there is always going to be a risk when you stand by something very strongly, and when you push back against something, and that's just the inevitable nature of activism. I think. Um, but it's the only way forward as well, and I think it's better to, you know, stand by our values and still get it out there in an amicable and diplomatic way,、um, than to just go with the flow and like accept status quo as well.、Mm. Amazing, and. Is there a way that you can measure the impact of of your artwork or, like? Hmm. It, that must be a bit challenging, but maybe you, maybe there's a way that you do that. I do, I do. There's an、um, internal kind of sensing that I have. Okay. <laughs>、um, I guess I used to measure it by, you know, numbers like numbers of engagement on a post, or number of followers that I'll gain after, you know. Um, posting something because I naturally think that the wider the reach is, the more the awareness is.、Yeah. But I think over the years, I've learned to value like deeper relationships and understanding a lot more and engagements in real life. Um, which is kind of why I kind of pivoted from. Purely social media and online infographics to more community murals and books,、um, and even like workshops when we talk about eco anxiety and eco grief and these kinds of things,、um, because I realize that in order to get that nuance and in order to have deep conversations, it needs to happen in real life,、um, and. I think for me now, how I measure the impact of my art is how excited people become after I、oh, tell、nice. them about sustainability and nature. Yeah, so um, do for the two community murals that we did in Bunley View, I realized that after we painted the birds and we painted like the different, uh. You know, community actions for litter picking. The kids would come and tell us things about biodiversity and sustainability, and they would be so excited to show us like the different mangroves they saw over the weekend, or the different bugs they saw in the neighborhood, and that to me indicates that there was a shift in values. Or there was、yeah. a new way that they were looking at things, and I think that for me now is the indication of impact. When I can see that that fire has been lit up in other people, I know that they are now invested in the cause. 
That's amazing. And I'm sure you've engaged a lot of people through your art um, now. And for you, is there a particularly memorable or like favorite piece of art that you've created? Uh, that's <laughs> tough. Um, but I would say the piece that I always, always go back to is this purple comic that I created back in 2022, I think. Um, so it's a, a, a very simple, like, one-page comic with two panels. And it's kind of just, like, me talking to my spirit animal, which is a white deer with these, like, cherry blossom antlers. Um, and I kind of asked the deer, like, how do I know if what I do will change anything? And a dear answers, you don't, and nobody does. But you just need to trust that it's still the right thing to do. And I always go back to that when I feel kind of stuck, not just in climate activism, but in life as well. Um, if I'm going through like a really bad um, like mental health crisis, or my life isn't where I want it to be, you know, I just need to remember that all we can do as humans is just put one foot in front of the other and just keep going. Wow. Even I had to, like, take a moment to reflect because that's quite a powerful, (laughs) like, little comic. And so you say um, this white deer with cherry blossom uh, antlers is your spirit animal. Was that something that came to you like in your imagination how did you come up with that <laughs> yeah I I love looking to fantasy for inspiration for my art and growing up the deer has always been my spirit animal like the my name Dorcas <laughs> actually means deer oh interesting <laughs> and um, growing up, like I had a reputation for being very daydreamy and clumsy, <laughs> so people would always refer to me as a deer in the headlights. <laughs> yeah. Um. So when I was thinking of creating a character that was wise and someone who could give me advice when I didn't know what to do I immediately thought of a white deer and I've always had like a like a like a connection with like sakura flowers or like cherry blossoms because I love how um, temporary they are but how beautiful they are in that short period that they bloom um, so that's why I really wanted to create that character and kind of have that conversation um, in that comic. Wow, okay. And you you mentioned you really like fantasy. Do you draw inspiration from maybe other artists or, uh, you know, books, movies? Um, yeah, things like that? I do, I do. Um, so one of my favorite, favorite um, storytellers is uh, Hayao Miyazaki um, from Studio Ghibli. So he's kind of like the main animator um, and director inside that studio. And I love how otherworldly all of the movies are. 
and it wasn't just like about how otherworldly is also like they always bring in themes of like social justice and uh, environmental themes and they talk about it in a way that's very nuanced um so one of my favorite movies is this movie called um princess mononoke and it follows this main protagonist who got shot by a demon pig and he's out there to kind of like um you know calm down the angry spirits and then they realize that this spirit pig was displaced from his home because someone was mining the mountain that it was living on but the person that was mining the mountain was really someone who was trying to protect disadvantaged women in her village and by mining the mountain and creating jobs and earning money for them they were able to leave situations that they were stuck in so i thought that was a very interesting perspective um that he brought out in the movie and i also love like artists like aurora um she's like a norwegian artist who has like a beautiful beautiful voice and she also brings up themes of like social justice and like the climate crisis in her songs as well and i always love storytellers that kind of use their creativity for a greater good or greater cause okay and have you experimented with different mediums because um you mentioned like a movie here so have you ever tried like filmmaking <laughs> I don't think I'll be very good at filmmaking. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but then in terms of your art, is it mostly like on paper or do you do like I mean, you, I think mm-hmm. you mentioned digital art with infographics as well. Yeah, it is mostly digital. Um I used to do a lot of watercolor art. But uh, I switched to digital just because it saves a lot of paper and it's more sustainable. Yeah. Oh, nice. Then, okay. Yeah. Um, and I also do um, murals uh, because I feel like that's the quickest way to engage a community. Right. And uh, I think, I guess those are the two main mediums that I work with, yeah. Okay. And so now we're going to switch over a bit um, from art to your experiences, um, you know, more in public or doing like programs. So you've attended the UN Conference of Youths um, and the Regional Conference of Youths uh, for Asia and the Pacific as a Singapore delegate. So describe this experience because it sounds really uh, exciting and interesting. What was your role and, and what did you learn maybe from this experience? It was... Um, maybe to give everyone like, a bit of context into the two conferences. Um, basically, every single year, the United Nations organizes different levels of climate conferences. So there are those on the local levels. So they're called ELCOI, like Local Conference of Youth. And then it goes up to Regional Conference of Youth. So this can be like in the Middle East or in Asia Pacific, which is the one I attended. Um, or any single region. And then um, after that would be 
the Conference of Youth, which is the international version. And it's usually like a lead up to COP itself, which is the main uh, conference where all the world leaders and kind of everyone comes together to discuss climate negotiations. Um, so every single conference usually produces some sort of a statement um, and this is usually like a list of different demands that uh, youths in that area or in that region are asking for. Um, so uh, f- for me, I got to go to um, the regional one um, in the Philippines last year. And um, we went with like a lot of different other youths from Southeast Asia. So there was like Thailand and like Philippines and Myanmar and just really, really different backgrounds. But I think what I appreciate about these kinds of conferences is that when we all come together, um, we're all on the same level. Uh, I, I think like outside of these spaces, you know, you can really feel like the difference in socioeconomic status that one country has over another or like, you know, on an international level, there's like a lot of politics and there's war and there's, you know, it's like a coup and these sort of stuff. But when we're in these kind of conferences, everyone becomes stories. So I really loved that I was able to um, find out about different people's stories and their experiences on a very human level. Um, like I remember there was this one, uh, there was this one night where we all went into like someone's hotel room and we just went in a circle and we, we started talking about how climate change impacts each of our different countries. So I had a friend from Laos that was saying like, you know, like most of the population depends on agriculture as a way of living, but you know, climate change so heavily um, impacts agriculture. So what happens to the economy then? And then um, someone else was talking about the really, really bad air pollution in Thailand that was happening and the urban heat island effect. And another person from Nepal was saying that, you know, the mountains that she grew up with that were full of snow were suddenly like, rocky and bare so that was like a really it was like a really um profound moment for me and like the other singapore delegates because in singapore the way that we feel climate change is you know when we have more uh, more heat yeah or when we have more rain or the weather is a little bit more sporadic but in no way do they completely destroy our livelihoods in the same way that they do um, these more climate vulnerable countries and usually those countries are our neighbors and we are in the center of all of that yeah I guess when I went for that conference, it really hit me really hard how much responsibility we have to take care of the countries around us um, and to kind of like um, offer like more resources and support if we need them. Because 
we are like financially in a better situation and we do have more resources to give. Um, so that was like a really... It, it was a really insightful experience because it's very different to hear about these stories directly from people who experienced it versus when you keep seeing it in the news. Yeah, for sure. Or infographics even. Yeah. Like, it's... It can feel very far removed and something that can easily be turned away. Yeah. That's amazing. And um, I really like that you... S- you took away all these stories um, and as you mentioned like it's very hard to connect with with something you see on the news um, like yeah. if, if there's flooding in in a country I don't know that's quite removed from Singapore like for example Brazil it's difficult for yeah. us to to understand what that really means for those communities exactly and Singapore as well like is kind of sheltered as compared to a lot of those countries because we it's, really are yeah it's so well <laughs> developed here and like it's quite stable as of now and so to it's it's difficult for us to to really understand what's going on in in other countries and so as you mentioned i think there's a responsibility to kind of go and learn about other countries and about other communities do you think do you think that as well yeah, I think definitely. I think I, I cognitively knew that we were in a bubble and we were very sheltered. But when I went overseas and I really got to hear these stories directly, that was like the first time I felt it in my spirit as well. I was, I was like, oh, like, it's, it's, it's more common to experience these crises than it is not to and that was how when I really yeah yeah. and I do think that you know if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking about going overseas and you know listening to other youths and other delegates I would definitely recommend it yeah everyone who's listening here definitely go travel and as much as you can learn from the communities around you. And so you mentioned at this UN conferences that they kind of, they produce a final statement at the end. So what's the process? Like, is it over several days and, and what, what kind of activities do you participate in or do the youths like do as part of these conferences? Mm, So usually how it goes uh, so the, the process for our koi and koi work was like a little bit different. So for our koi, um, what we did was we had several engagement sessions like throughout the entire week um, where they would ask us about opinions about like, you know, technology and innovation or like um, balancing deforestation uh, with, you know, development or um, agriculture and how it impacts our different countries. And then um, in each kind of like small group, we pick up a leader and that leader will kind of like summarize everything. And then all the leaders kind of come together to um, curate a final paper. And then, um, and then before the final paper is like super, super finalized, um, 
everyone can come in and kind of tweak things um, if they need or want to. And then afterwards, it's kind of like sent to a bigger conference um, or up to the United Nations. Um, and so for Koi, um, it was, the process was a little bit different in that they did the engagement with, before the conference itself. So they held a lot of like in-person discussions and Zoom engagement sessions. Um, and then they curated everything and used um, the conference to announce the the final paper um, before it was it went to COP to be lo- to be used as lobbying. Yeah. Oh, interesting to see that. I mean, it's good to see that there's collaboration between all the youths and that it, it goes towards a final product that's then um, sent to the United Nations and, and might be considered when they're, I don't know, making policies or having their own conferences. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I think um, I really appreciate like the amount of engagements that they try to do with us because usually the people who organize these conferences are doing it out of like their spare time. They're like balancing a full-time job or university or things like that. And um, they have to find like sponsorships and like event organizers and everything to put this gigantic thing together so that it can be sent to the higher ups. Mm. Um, yeah. And I, I think like these kinds of conferences should, you know, happen, happen more often. Okay, and I'm not sure if you're open or like allowed to share this, but I'm curious like what some of the topics were that came up amongst the youth um, at these conferences? Like what were some of the more pressing uh, issues that they, or that you guys were interested in? Yeah, um, I would say for the regional conference, a lot of what came up was climate education. Um, I think this is very much uh, because of the, the, the demographics that we were looking at. Like most of the countries there, like Philippines, Vietnam, and like Myanmar, they, m- most people really like do not have access to climate education and it's not built into their formal curriculum. And before I went um, to the Philippines, I, I, I assumed that it was like common knowledge already because in Singapore, um, like we, we learn about climate change when we're in primary school and then it's so much of what we're talking about yeah uh, yeah and um I, yeah I didn't realize that this was a thing until I went overseas and then the people who were at those conferences were saying they were usually the exceptions in their communities to even know about the climate crisis and it's it's weird because um, for us it's like we know about it but we don't experience the worst parts of it. And for them, it's like they experience the worst parts of it, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, right. That is interesting, yeah. Yeah. So to build your own knowledge um, of 
of environmental issues. You recently graduated from the Young Southeast Asian Leaders Initiative Academic Fellowship on Environmental Issues and Resource Management. Congratulations, by the way. Thank Um, you. Offered by the University of Montana, which is a five-week intensive program during which you cover um, a lot of topics relating to environmental issues. So what was your biggest takeaway from this program? Uh, I think this program was really refreshing in like for me because I learned a lot about these kind of issues like theoretically, but when I was over there, I could finally like um learn about you know carbon accounting or like indigenous issues um or you know recycling like with in a formal environment where we were going on different field trips and like learning about it in different lectures and things like that um and I I particularly loved this one trip that we went. So um, it was to a bison range. And, and so when we went to the bison range, um, there were two guides that we had that told us about what happened over there. So basically, like there were about 5 million bison um, in Missoula, uh, in in that like in the in the reservation, um, where we went to, um, and you know when the indigenous people were there, like the Salish and Kalispel people were there, they relied very very heavily on, uh, the bison, and they would use, you know, the bison as food, you know, as shelter, and they were very very much like spiritually connected, and, um, I. And then, like when, when the colonizers came, they wanted to force like ind- indigenous people, um, into a different land, you know, because they wanted to, you know, take over the land and uh as their own and convert it into private property. So what they did was they they went around like shooting all of the bison, because they realized that if they got rid of the bison, then you know, the indigenous people won't have anything to rely on anymore. Oh my. And so that's what they did. And from a population of about 5 million, it went down to about 500 in the span of just like a few years. And it was crazy. Like we saw a photo of a big mountain of skulls um, in the exhibition and it was like really scary to look at. I was like, wow, that's a lot of bison. Um, and but what happened was, um, you know, after like the different negotiations and after like indigenous people were forced off their land for like a long time, like last year, um, the management was finally given back to them. And so now um, they were allowed to run this bison range that was run once their land and also kind of uh, helped to restore the population of the bison. Um, I thought that was such like, an inspiring story about how the tables can turn even after a really long period of injustice um, and that there is hope at the end of all of it and people can take back their power even when it is taken away unjustly. Um, so I 
took away a lot of stories of hope, um, not just from the different places in the US, but also from the different fellows that I was engaging with. Yeah. Wonderful. And yeah, I've, I recently saw a paper about how indigenous communities are actually protecting like, I think over 80% of the biodiversity yeah. in the world, which is crazy. It's cool. And I think it also gives me a lot of hope because I think there is this pervasive narrative that people are poisonous and that people and nature can never mix because we destroy everything that we touch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think what that statistic shows us is that living in harmony is possible. We just need to employ different tools and have different cultures that allow us to, you know, live and coexist together. Yeah, and I think we definitely need to rethink our system a bit because um, so far, like, the the system that's prioritizing economic growth and um like capitalism i suppose and i'm not sure about like the whole of capitalism but in general like the system that the modern world seems to be operating under seems to be kind of at the detriment of the environment and we're yet to see whether we're going to be able to turn it into something that um can promote environmental sustainability as well or if we're going to have to change the system yeah, I agree with that. I think it's it's always like kind of this dance between like changing on an individual level and a community level and also the systems level so that everything works together in this direction. Yeah, for sure. And so unfortunately we're ending the end uh the we're nearing the end of the podcast. Um so I'm just going to ask you our signature question here um, to finish off. In short, what is your best advice for anyone on this podcast who is hoping to make a change in their communities? I would say to be sustained by love. Like no matter how cheesy that sounds, I found that it's really true. Um, When your love for like other people and the more than human life around you um, is prioritized in front and center, a lot of things become clearer and um, you'll find that you also won't run out of energy as fast if it's motivated by love as opposed to like anxiety or like anger. Um, Yeah, that's my final advice. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. This was a really amazing discussion uh, and I learned a lot as a (laughs) non-artist. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Eat Your Greens podcast. See you next time.